This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Good morning. It's The Bucket List. Lots going on this week. Of course, we've had the Red Bull Paper Wings competition in Melbourne. World competition to throw a paper plane. We'll speak to one of the contestants from that. Last week, we spoke to former world champion Mick Fanning. I asked him what he would be doing if he hadn't been a surfer. Beefy, what he told us was really, really surprising. It was nothing I ever expected. Did you? No, I wouldn't have ever pictured him in this sport. So stay tuned for that. We'll play you that excerpt of the interview. We can find out what Mick Fanning would be doing if he wasn't into surfing. You do not want to miss that. I've, I've discovered a use for my landline this week. Have you still got it online? I do. One of the few people that do. But I tend to use my landline only for finding my mobile phone. It's just easier to, to actually ring it. I had a friend who actually I couldn't get in contact with for nearly two weeks. Yeah. Because he couldn't find his phone. That's the problem nowadays, isn't it? I used to be one of these freaks that could remember like 50 people's phone numbers. When you had your landline, you used to dial a number in, so you remember the number that way. But now, I can't tell you very many people's numbers because it's stored in contacts on your phone, isn't it? So you don't learn people's numbers anymore. So if you do lose your phone, you can't contact people anymore. That part of your, your brain actually shrinks. So how do you find your phone when you lose it? Oh, this is easy. I ring it up on my landline. Oh, and it rings? Yeah. Oh. That's what it does. <laughs> that's, that's I what... thought it was like a special code and it kind no. of... No. Ah, right, got you. You can, you can do that on your laptop. <laughs> you can actually go find my phone. I don't uh, know about with Androids, but you can with Apples. I'm flavour of the month with the telemarket. doesn't tell you. The last couple of weeks has just gone ridiculous. I get three or four a day nowadays. People are trying to sell me Bitcoin over the phone. Are these local or international calls? No, they're, all, they're weird ones. I generally say, oh, look, I've got another call coming. I'll put you on hold and I'll put some thrash metal on on my computer and I'll just leave it on hold on the phone so they get to listen to some thrash metal. They seem to go away very quickly. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. recently a very interesting marathon in North Korea, the Pyongyang Marathon, and Angel Arnadov from Macedonia took part in it. Good morning, Angel. Thanks for joining us on the bucket list. My pleasure to be your guest this morning. You are in China at the moment. You recently were in North Korea for the marathon. How many people took part? Around 1,000 foreign runners, about 600 domestic runners taking part. This was the highest number of foreign runners so far. Yeah. Quite amazing. Angel, you are a marathon chaser. When the opportunity to come out to North Korea came up, I, I reckon you would have been the first on the list. When this opportunity came with the marathon, I applied right away and I got accepted because everyone thinks the country is closed for visitors without any specific reason. Did it feel really restricted? Did you feel like the officials watching where you were going while you were actually there or did you feel that you had a little bit of freedom? During the actual event, we were free to run around the city. There were guards maybe every 50 to 100 meters. We were able to say hi to most of the people who were cheering for us on the street, taking photos with them, selfies. Angel, I've seen some photos of the marathon from the weekend. There looked to be some really huge crowds. What was the atmosphere like running through uh, Pyongyang? It was very positive experience and great atmosphere, especially at the stadium. There were 50,000 spectators during the opening ceremony and also the closing ceremony. And there was a football game in between for all the spectators so they will not get bored while we were running the streets of Pyongyang. Interestingly enough, though, there was so many, there was a lot of foreign runners, but no Americans were allowed to take part. 
that's correct. Uh, I do know some uh, people which were actually Americans, but they were from Indian origin. They used their Indian passport. Of course, the Americans weren't allowed to take part because there isn't a travel ban in America from going to North Korea. What's next on your marathon bucket list, Angel? First, it's my native Macedonian marathon in our capital, Skopje. That's in May. In October is Amsterdam in the Netherlands. That is an absolutely amazing experience. We wish you the best. Angel Arnadob on the bucket list, who's been at the Pyongyang Marathon in North Korea. I'll give you also a call. Welcome to Australia. Yeah, come, come visit us. That story about the North Korean marathon reminds me about those two Aussie golfers a few years ago that claimed they were the Australian golf team. Two Brisbane boys. This is a couple of years ago. They were 28 years old and they were playing polo in uh, Beijing at the time. And they thought, you know, let's go and play at a golf tournament in North Korea. So they actually emailed the organisers. They said, we're a couple of Australian golfers. The organisers said, are you actually the Australian golf team? And they said, "Um, yeah, I guess. They went down to Beijing. They got some phony official blazers made up and they went to the competition, got treated like celebrities, did all these official engagement, got put up at five-star hotels. Yeah, came and done because basically they've hardly ever played golf before and the one-shot 120, which is 50 over par, 50 over par, most hackers would be in the region of 25 to 35 over par. This is how bad these guys were. I think the other guy shot 126, 56 over par. I believe they got asked to leave the tournament after the first day. Well, these guys did so badly. You know, first of all, they're celebrities and heroes. People are having selfies taken with them. They get onto the golfing green, as you said. They scored very badly. And in fact, they did so badly, they actually finished just ahead of the teenage daughter of another country's ambassador. And their caddy actually said to them, you bring shame on your families. Oh, that's... Yes, you bring shame to your family. So we've got to give it to these guys, Morgan Rugg and Evan Shea, who actually managed to bluff their way into the world's most secretive state by successfully convincing officials they were members of the Australian golf team. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. It's a bucket list, and this morning we're speaking to Cam from Geelong. Cam, you've actually done the Bolivian Death Road. What on earth is that? Yeah, I did the Bolivian Death Road some time back now. It was 2006, and they were constructing a highway that superseded the Death Road. So we were pretty excited to um, have a go at um, actually riding down this road and sort of been made famous in recent years by guys from Top Gear who drove cars down it. Sort of a famous road that in 1995 they'd sort of dubbed it the world's most dangerous road. They estimated it around two to 300 people a year died on it. Unbelievable. So this is actually a race you took part in? Yeah, it's not actually a race. It's a local road. It was a road that was at one point the only road from Corico to La Paz in Bolivia, and it's cut into the side of a mountain. It starts 15,400 feet or about 5,000 metres, and it runs 65 kilometres downhill, cutting to the side of the mountain until you get to sea level. You've mentioned about Top Gear. Some of the stuff that they did when there was cars or trucks or buses passing each other. Now, this road is literally on the side of the mountain. It's got no safety barrier on one side. So if you put one wheel wrong, you're gone. Hence why there's 200, 300 people die on this road. And it's like four and a half metres wide for two vehicles to pass each other at certain places. It's crazy. When I rode down it on a mountain bike, we had to frequently stop and um, allow buses and trucks to pass us. But watching buses and trucks trying to navigate going past each other, it wasn't uncommon to see their back wheels hanging over precariously. This sort of drop, which exceeds a 1,000 metres at some points and drops just 
straight down. Do you think the locals have no fear catching the buses? They're just used to it? Yeah, I think that they're just perhaps used to it. Certainly claimed a lot of people, as I mentioned earlier, the worst was I think in the 1980s when I was there, they talked about a bus that actually went down and that was the worst singular event that they had in terms of death. They had a huge load of bus that went over the edge and everyone died. I think it was 100 plus people on that bus. Oh, Why don't they just make the road a bit bigger? Well, it was actually created by prisoners. So back in the 30s, there was um, a war between Paraguay and Bolivia, and it was built by Paraguayan prisoners of war, where they cut this road into the mountain. They can't just cut it a bit more? Is it such a tourist attraction? It is now. I mean, um, there's 30-plus companies that actually take mountain bike tours. We actually ride down there and I was part of a particular company that went down. We had 20 or so mountain bikers that rode down. One of the curious things I, I found about it was halfway down we actually had to had to stop and it was for a DEA drug checkpoint. And how did you go with that? Yeah, well, passed with flying colours. But I think they were looking for big trucks that were carrying either precursor uh, chemicals right. or were laden with cocaine, I guess, coming from uh, oh, the Amazon. Yeah. Did, you, did, did they search you when you lycra? <laughs> no, no, no lycra for that event. But we managed to go through okay. Cam, down in Geelong, it's uh, Bells Beach surfing coming up. Do you get along to the uh, surfing yourself? I used to do a lot of surfing. Oh. You know, yeah. I've been to Bell's Beach before. I went to school with the son whose father was the founder of Rip Curl, um, oh, wow. Brian Singer. Yeah, I used to go there all the time and get tickets, which was really good. I think I saw Kelly Slater's very first win at Bell's Beach. Oh. About 95, that would have been, wouldn't it? 90- yeah, 1995. Yeah. Got some photos of the, the champ. Oh, Back nice. then he had hair. Yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was a good-looking guy with the hair, i got to say. Yeah. Came runner up to big beefy guy. Beefy guy, yeah, not that beefy. Do you know what? I've never, um, I've never stood on a surfboard in my life. I've never tried it. I think Ripcurl Bells Beach is one of the longest running surf events in the world. Professional surf events in the yeah. world. Certainly pumps at Easter time. They they sort of have the event at this time of the year. Um, predominantly because they get the best swells down that area at this time of the year. So it's a massive event down here and certainly Easter and Torquay absolutely bulging at the seams for the event. Well, thanks heaps for telling us about the Bolivian Death Road, Cam. No problems. That's Cam talking about the Bolivian Death Road on the bucket list. You're listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. And if you thought that making a paper plane fly was just something that you did at school, the Red Bull Paper Wings is, is actually on at the moment. Shortly we'll be speaking to one of the contestants, a guy called Sonnet Erison. Also, Mick Fanning gave us a bit of a surprise uh, last week when we spoke to him, Beefy. Yes. We? we basically asked Mick what he'd do if he hadn't taken up surfing and, and this is what he'd said. You've got to check this out. And this morning we are very excited to be speaking to Mr. Mick Fanning. Good morning. Morning. How are you going? Oh, we're fantastic. I've got to ask you, if you hadn't become a professional surfer, what do you think you might have ended up doing? To be totally honest, my whole world was soccer. <laughs> I um, I love soccer. And, yeah, it was sort of a bit of fate, actually, how I got into surfing. I, um, I was actually going to soccer sign-up and we actually went on the wrong day, so there was no one there. And then... <laughs> From there, my brother was actually going down to uh, D-Bar where the contest is at the moment to meet up with guys from Quicksilver to get sponsored and uh, I just went surfing anyway and they ended up sponsoring us both, which was really cool and uh, never went back to soccer. Do you think, though, yeah. that you would have been good enough to, get to go far in soccer as you had done in surfing? I don't think I would have been, no, but I just loved it so much. I was just so infatuated as any uh, young kid is. 
You're listening to The Bucket List. This is right up my street diet. You know I love niche sports. You do. This one's pretty niche, though. On the line, we've got Sonnet Alizan, just taken part in the Red Bull Paper Wings event in Melbourne this week. Sonnet, tell us about Red Bull Paper Wings. Hey, guys. So, yeah, I did the uh, competition on Wednesday and ended up winning it in Quimburn University. There are three main categories for this competition. Long distance, so pretty much who can throw the paper plane the furthest. There's airtime, which is how long you can keep the aircraft in the air Hmm. and aerobatics the coolest thing you can make it do that's pretty cool it's like when you're back at school you're basically throwing a paper plane is there a regulation way to make this with the competition you have to use that paper you can't rip the paper or sticky tape it or anything like that so how many people are competing in the uh, paper wings this this time around 50 or 40 events around australia okay then on top of that there's about 85 different countries in the running for it as well. So there'll be a world finals held in Austria to determine the uh, the winning country. So the uh, world champion paper plane flyer, that would be phenomenal. On yeah. Wednesday, you actually won at Swinburne. How far did your plane actually fly? My plane flew around 35 metres. 35 um, metres? The furthest that have been thrown this year is 44 metres. Actually, I get to do a rethrow because my paper plane ended up hitting the window. What happens to the person that wins? Where do they go off to? They get an all-expenses-paid trip to Austria, pretty much compete in the World Championships. Right, um, that's it. I'm in, I'm in next year. You're not going to win against Sonnet Beefy. He's got an aeronautical degree from university <laughs> in Sydney. Do you think they gave you a huge advantage? Surely it must have. Definitely did. sort of know the physics of flight, so I was able to create something that was very streamlined to get the uh, the longest distance. I think no one really came close that wow. day of the competition. It's been an unfair advantage. How long does it take you to fold the perfect paper plane, Sonnet? Five to seven minutes. People out there plagiarising your patented paper plane folding efforts? There have been a few attempts. I'll definitely keep my eye out for people who try to copy me. Look, that sounds absolutely amazing. We wish you the best. We hope you get to Austria to enjoy the Red Bull Paper Wing Sonnet. Thank you. With a prize like getting to Austria, full expenses paid, please keep us up to date with your progress and how the Australian Championships are going. Yeah, thanks very much for your time. That's Sonnet, and he's actually one of the contenders for the Red Bull Paper Wings, hoping to win his way to Austria on the bucket list. You're listening to The Bucket List. And we have tickets to give away to Barn and the Musical if you'd like to go into the draw for that. Follow us onto the website, bucketlistradio.com.au. You'll find a couple of links there to Twitter and Facebook. Go on to either of those, join up. You'll go into the draw to Barnum. Beefy, Anthony Mundine has been talking this time without thinking. Nothing new for uh, Mr Mundine, unfortunately. Gets himself in trouble. Actually promoting anti-vaxxing. He's taken to Twitter. He's imploring Aussie parents not to vaccinate their children. He claims it's an agenda set by the big pharmaceutical companies against African-Americans. Yeah, just African-Americans. Don't worry about anyone else. Yeah, well, he read that on a website, apparently. But that surprises me, Beefy, because who knew Anthony Mundine could actually read? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Punched in the head quite a few times of late. So yeah, he's getting that way. It lasted 90 seconds against Jeff Horn. So, uh, really? Yeah. How bad are the injuries generally for boxers? They're awful. People get hit in the head repeatedly. Do any of them actually manage to retire without in- injuries? Oh, quite a few do, yeah. Got to remember Muhammad Ali later on in his career. I mean, mm. He went on far too long. and Tough game, boxing. but It's brutal. Sometimes it's the only thing that guys 
do, you know, if when they're in that background. They love boxing. Anthony Mundine has been ridiculed by making these claims and most savagely by former Paralympian Kurt Fernley. Oh, yeah, what did Kurt have to say? Well, he actually called Mundine a peanut <laughs> and asked what his knowledge of vaccination is based on. Kurt also asks Mundine, do you have any friends with polio? No, it's because of vaccination. But as you were saying, Israel Folau has been making news for the wrong reasons. Unbelievable. Hate to ruin a career. He's highly religious. Look, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's got every right in the world to tweet what he wants to tweet. He's been warned previously by the Australian Rugby Union about tweeting anti-gay and homophobic stuff. He's done it again. It's just crazy. So they've sacked him. I mean, it's a World Cup year for the Wallabies this year. NRL have also said they won't take him. Rugby union clubs around the world have already said they don't want him. I mean, he was on $6 million a year to play rugby. They've just sacked him straight off the bat got a responsibility. You just yeah. can't go around insulting people. What he came out with and said, because he's religious, he's basically saying, if you're gay, you're going to hell. It's Not supporting out. that one at all. No. You're listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. It's a bucket list and good morning. We have Russell Morris with us. You're hugely known for that timeless hit, The Real Thing, produced by Molly Meldrum. How did that happen that Molly got to produce that song? It was It's iconic. I can't even answer that question myself. Can you imagine you're in a, in a band and you're playing at a club and this guy who's like a friend of the band, who's sort of their semi-roadie, but he would never pick up anything. I never <laughs> saw him lift an amp in his life. <laughs> comes up to you and says, listen, I really love your band. Can I manage you? I'll get you a record deal and can I produce your records? And we all went, oh, that sounds like a good idea. That's how naive we were, not knowing that Ian would turn out to be one of the best record producers this country's ever had. Funny how luck plays an enormous part in your life. Did you know when he was actually producing it and you were listening to The Real Thing that this was going to be something really special? Yes, we did. We all loved it. We didn't care if people didn't like it because we all liked it. And we were. We thought, well, this is the best that we can do at this time. If it's too unusual and people don't want it and don't want to hear it, that's a shame because we do love it. The record company hated it. They didn't want to release it. And it took a lot of convincing to get them to release, the, release it because they thought it was rubbish. And, uh <laughs> Is there a sporting event you'd like to go and see? Yes. Well, I would travel all the way to Victoria just to see Richmond win another grand final. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to go to Wembley and see a really big soccer match. That that would be fabulous. Fantastic. Russell Morris on the bucket list. Good morning. It's the bucket list. A big weekend of sport for sports fans. What a weekend of sport. US Masters Golf is going on right now. Augusta, Georgia. Tiger Woods, he scored a couple of birdies earlier today. Then he started playing golf. Danny Ricciardo and Lewis Hamilton, you stole his bottle of water. Did you put it on eBay? Did you get anything for that? Oh, I've just got people coming out of the woodwork wanting Lewis Hamilton's Voss water. Catch you next weekend on the bucket list. Check us out on Facebook, the Bucket List Radio Show. Thanks for listening to The Bucket List. And if you liked our show, go to the Facebook page and like us. It's thanks to myclubshop.com.au, Get Back and also Sportsnet Holidays. To find out about more about their great range of packages, keep listening.
today we are speaking to Daniel Giacconi from Sportsnet Holidays. From Monday the 20th of January, we have the Australian Open over 14 days. Now, you're offering something called the Sportsnet Super Suite. I'm intrigued by that. What is it, Daniel? So the Sportsnet Super Suite is an exclusive suite. It's in Melbourne Arena for the first eight days of, of the tournament when, when tennis is on in Melbourne Arena. The exciting thing about it, it's the biggest suite at the Australian Open. It takes up the entire baseline uh, at Melbourne Arena. And the great thing is all Sportsnet reserved seat day session ticket holders get free access if they buy a, a travel package from us. It's an opportunity for guests and our clients to escape the crowds and get away from the heat. It's air conditioned. It's, it's got private bathrooms and really nice furniture. An opportunity to buy food and, and beverages away from the crowds again. And also accessible from the suite if they want to get in front of the glass, uh, they can. So we've got two rows of of padded seats so they can either sit behind the behind the glass in air conditioning or in front of the glass and and i guess feel the atmosphere of the tennis so it's it's, it's magic absolutely magic that is quite unbelievable and that that is something that makes Sportsnet holidays stand out from the rest of the people out there that offer Australian Open travel packages and it, i'm excited already and how many we're eight months away so, so am i i guess the other thing about the Super Suite, which is which is new for next year, which gets me really excited about it, is what we've done. We've just finalised uh, finalised it with Tennis Australia that we're also going to have the suite for the Melbourne United Open Air Games. It's been a new introduction in the last couple of years, and we've secured that in the second week. We're going to give our clients the opportunity to see some tennis, number one, but also if they're there on that day, we're going to let them watch that that Melbourne United Open Air match as well uh, in the NBL. What a package you guys are offering. This is unbelievable. It, it is, and exciting. I guess we can go to, to NBL fans and say, why not experience the tennis as well? Or we can go to our tennis fans and say, why not experience the basketball as well? So it's going to be great. Pretty phenomenal. If... Uh... People want to go and see any other tennis tournaments around the world. What are you guys offering? I'm guessing you offer Wimbledon. We do, Beefy and Diamond. One of the, our most popular. Wimbledon's a bucket list event for many a person. So we definitely offer that. The one that the one I'm really intrigued about is the, is the new ATP Cup uh, next year. It's the one replacing the Brisbane International, the Sydney International and the Hopman Cup, which quite a few people are a little bit sad about. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a 24-nation team-based tournament. Uh, it'll be over 10 days. I guess it will kickstart the 2020 tennis season in Australia. And from what I understand, there's 750 ATP ranking points, 22 million in prize money, so the largest prize pool outside of the, the four Grand Slams. There's a lot at stake. It's going to be interesting to see how that event is perceived by the Australian public. With this new tournament in play as well, it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. It's, and it's, it's, it's great for sports and holiday where you can let people uh, as inbound tourists look after them instead of what you normally do and take people away from the country. 24 nations means that there's 24 nations looking to come to Australia, um, not only to see the Australian Open, but also witness this event for the first time. And from what I'm hearing, it's going to be absolutely huge. These new kind of world tour events are quite exciting and they're trying to garner a new kind of... uh, um, a new demographic and new eyes to the sport. So uh, tennis is going from strength to strength, and it's always a pleasure to have the first major of the year in Australia, and it puts uh, Melbourne on the map in the tennis world, and we are so pleased that you guys can offer such exciting travel packages for the Australian Open. So if you need to get hold of Sportsnet Holidays for the Oz Open Tennis next year... You can look online, sportsnetholidays.com. Or give Daniel a call at 1300 888 858. That's 1300 888 858.